Hi, I'm Chris Buno. Welcome to Vail Valley Experience. Today we have as our guest, Dr. Teresa Hukova. Hello. Uh, in full disclosure, Dr. Hukova, or Teresa, or sweetheart, as she's known here, uh, is my wife. This is our first episode. And so uh, this will be a nice entry into uh, the beginning of what is the Vail Valley Experience podcast. Uh, and it will, as, as new residents to Vail Valley, uh, you can meet me, but more importantly, you can meet Dr. Hokova. So, uh, all right. So, uh, as I mentioned, I certainly know a lot about you, so I didn't have to prepare a lot. Um, as soon as you start speaking, uh, people will will realize you have an accent. So, uh, please tell us about where you're from and how you got to the states, and then how you got to Colorado, how you got to the Vail Valley. Yeah. All right. So, I come from the Czech Republic. Actually, I was born still in the communist Czechoslovakia. And um, I was always curious how people live in other countries because under communism, we didn't have many opportunities to travel. Uh, we had censorship. <laughs> so we kind of lived uh, behind the Iron Curtain. And as soon as the Iron Curtain was broken, which was in 1989, I was 18 and I actually participated. I was very fortunate that I could participate in the Velvet Revolution because I was a first year medical student in Prague. Um, as soon as that happened, I was so eager to explore how people live elsewhere. So as soon as I was done with my medical school, I came to the United States and here I am uh, 25 years later. <laughs> yeah, so I know that glosses over a lot. Um, I have questions already mm -hmm. about uh, your time back in what was at the time Czechoslovakia. Uh, so tell us a little bit about if, in the U.S., right, um, in as far as European countries go, we know a lot about Great Britain and France, maybe less so about Italy, some about Germany. But uh, uh, countries like uh, Czechoslovakia or Czech Republic, Poland, Ukraine, we didn't really learn a lot about, you know, in school growing up. So uh, the Velvet Revolution, how did that come about? And really what I'm more interested in is... Uh, uh, were you frightened participating in the Velvet Revolution? Was there, what was the sense of, of energy as you transitioned from communism to not? Mm -hmm. It's funny that you didn't know much about the Czech Republic. We knew about the United States. And we, <laughs> when I was going to first grade, uh, Reagan was the president. We knew that he had nuclear weapons. And I always imagine that he's sitting in some, some room with a bunch of buttons. And when he decides he will press a button, and missiles will come flying and, and bombard us and we'll die. And so oh. I already had this plan as a first grader. You know, I had like my hiding spot between the trash cans, which were like in this concrete uh, compound uh, that I had. That was my hiding spot. And I periodically checked the sky if the missiles are coming. So wow. That was my childhood in, uh, in a communist Czechoslovakia. You know, we didn't have uh, much. We certainly never were hungry or anything like that by any stretch. Uh, that may have been the truth in Russia and some other countries like China. But in the Czech Republic was kind of in the middle of East and West. Yeah. So we did have more, but um, we still would have to stay in huge hours and hours long lines, for instance, to get bananas for Christmas. That was a special treat. And you would only get four bananas for the family of four. So my mom never had a banana. She always would sacrifice it and mm. give it to me or my sister. Um, so it was a very different way of living. Mm. And uh, we kind of knew things were different elsewhere because uh, 
My parents never joined the communist country. That was pretty rare. I don't know, maybe 95% of people were in the communist party. So we already were very much having a target on our back just by not <laughs> being part of that. Um, and we were listening uh, to radios like uh, Free uh, Voice of America and Free Europe. Yeah. Um, I knew that I couldn't speak about it anywhere. My dad always played some music on the uh, from the record player to to muffle yeah. <laughs> the sounds. So that was kind of my childhood. And um, when I was eighteen, I very much understood, you know, that communists had propaganda. I knew what we were told was not true. And uh, that was a couple of years after communism started breaking down in other countries, Hungary, then the Berlin Wall fell down. And then the first year that I started medical school, we had Velvet Revolution yeah. and communism was broken apart in, in Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I know this about you, uh, and but I don't want to put words in your mouth. From what I know, you have a, a fond memories of your childhood. We talked about, you know, what it was like living under communism as a, you know, uh, as a government. And uh, but despite the stresses that you refer to, yeah. you had a good, fond yeah. childhood. I mean, as children, we didn't perceive that as much. You know, I was always running around with friends. We lived in an apartment building. So I had a lot of friends there and there was a forest nearby. We were just running around and having having good time. Yeah. Um, I loved going pick mushrooms. We were always foraging for mushrooms and blueberries and other berries with my parents. And so I, yeah, I have only good memories from my childhood. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, and I also remember um, being in school and doing air raid drills yeah. where you'd go out and put your head against the locker. And I don't remember being particularly stressed about that either. It was just something that you did. And, you know, as kids, we probably couldn't really fully understand what was behind it. Uh, you mentioned mushrooms. Uh, I happen to know that your last name, Hopkova, um, if with a little twist there, can be heard as the Czech word for mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And so does that tie in with your affinity for mushrooms, with mushrooms being a part of your, your childhood? I think a lot of people in Czechoslovakia were foraging in the forests yeah. uh, for mushrooms. So it was very popular. And I think it still actually is very popular. Uh, plus, it was free food. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, we loved, we, every weekend we would be uh, picking mushrooms in the forest. And so the, the name is just a coincidence. Uh -huh. okay. <laughs> but I always believed that because of the name, the mushrooms were easier to find because they were more fond of, of me and my family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They were showing up more. <laughs> So, yeah. and for everyone's benefit, uh, pronounce your last name and then, Hoba. and then pronounce uh, uh, the word for mushrooms in Czech. Hoba. So it doesn't really sound that close. No. Hoba, Hoba, you know, but um, children are always laughing at me from childhood and I had a nickname uh, mushroom. So, <laughs> okay. So, all right. Well, fast forward. So you come to the U.S. Um, you already had your medical degree at mm -hmm. that point. And... Uh, where did you land in the U.S. and why did you land there? Yeah. So uh, first year of medical school, had we had Velvet Revolution. So I already was kind of free. But of course, at that point, you want to finish your medical school. So we had six years of medical school in Czech Republic. And I already knew that when I finished, I would like to go abroad. Um, my second best language after Czech and Russian was English. Uh, so I looked at different English-speaking countries 
And it was very obvious what steps I would have to do to come to the U.S. If I do A, B, and C, I can come to the U.S. So I knew that if I pass what is called um, ECFMG uh, test to have my medical school recognized in the U.S., uh, that I would be able to come. Now, the test itself cost $1,000, which yeah. was a lot of money in Czech Republic. It was pretty much equivalent of a year's salary back then. So the way I earned it is that I worked as a nanny in London for okay. three months over summer, and I saved every penny. Uh, and that was just about $1,000. And then I went to Budapest in Hungary to, to do the test. It uh, was two weekends uh, for the test. Then I had to wait a few months to <laughs> get the results. And then I learned that I passed. And then I literally looked on the map uh, because we didn't even have computers back then. I looked on the map of the United States where it kind of looked nice. <laughs> and by what standard? <laughs> where it looked like there could be some mountains and not so far from the ocean and some cities that I heard were beautiful, like Boston. Um, so that was kind of like how I was choosing where I would apply for residencies. And there was one book with addresses of all the residencies in, in some library in Prague. Again, we didn't even have computers. So I, I copied some of the addresses from that book. I sent letters with my resume and my results from those tests. And I was invited for interviews. And that's how I came to the U.S. Yeah, all right. Very. Now, this reminds me that um, obviously Czech was your first language. Mm -hmm. And uh, Russian was compulsory, as you've. Yeah. said to me as yeah. you told we me before Russian from third grade pretty much every day and so where does english come into play mm -hmm. yeah so um you know even though we were kind of friends with russia and english-speaking countries were our enemies mm -hmm. uh it was still allowed to study english and german or french uh i picked english in fifth grade and so i was studying english at school okay. um and i loved languages so um, i didn't really get to use it <laughs> until Communism fell down, but uh, yeah, that's why English-speaking countries were my choice. I certainly didn't want to explore how people lived in Russia <laughs> for whatever strange reason. Uh, all right, so uh, now you're in the States. Mm -hmm. I happen to know that you landed in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. I landed uh, with two pieces of luggage. I brought with me everything I could because I didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, so I brought with myself, with me even like fork and knife and spoon and a little iron so I could be, you know, look for a presentative. <laughs> um, I brought my, even like a little pot and pan to, to cook with. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. And I started my residency in Framingham. Very good. Framingham. And so when we met, you worked at Canyon Ranch in Lenox, mm -hmm. Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. uh, folks in Colorado may know of Canyon Ranch. Uh, if they know at all of Canyon Ranch, they probably know about Canyon Ranch in Tucson, Arizona. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know which came first. You know, you can certainly let me know. I'm not sure that's entirely important. But um, Canyon Ranch, mm -hmm. their medical practice there was called the Integrative Health Center or some variation of that. Uh, so you get your medical degree in Czech Republic, you come and do your residency in Framingham, Massachusetts, and then how do you get from that to becoming uh, an integrative and holistic uh, physician? Um, and, and uh, you know, that's why we're here in Colorado. That's why you work in Edwards. Um, so tell us about how you transitioned from 
standard medical practice to the type of medicine you yeah. practice now. And then kind of we can take that forward to how we ended up in Colorado. Yeah. So the medical school in Czech Republic already was a little bit more prevention oriented compared to um, American schools. We yeah. learned more about nutrition. We were already learning about probiotics back then, you know, in the 1990s. Okay. Uh, and um, uh, one of the things that stuck with me really probably the most from medical school was from our classes on pharmacology, where you've learned about medications. And uh, the very first class, the professor said, the only difference between medication and poison is the dose. And that stuck with me so much um, that I always really seeked to practice medicine in the safest way, needing to use the least amount of medication for the shortest period of time, and really always try to figure out, well, what's the root cause of the disease? So why did the person develop this or that? And can we remove the root cause so we wouldn't need the medication? So that was always the way that I wanted to practice but uh, during medical residency, you realize um, you really get brainwashed. You really get sleep deprived and you get brainwashed and you have to use medications and you have to see 30, 40 people a day and you don't really have time to get to know them. You don't have time to be the detective and be getting to the root cause uh, and talk about diet and sleep and stress. You really have just time to pull out the prescription pad and be giving uh, medications and, uh, you know, in a way, I think it, it's intentionally designed that way because it's a, it's a business that sells drugs. Um, so uh, I realized that during my residency, nevertheless, uh, when um, I was out of my residency, I had to uh, practice medicine and get my green card. I couldn't just do whatever I wanted. I couldn't open my private practice. I had to get a green card first to be able to stay in this country. So um, I found a position in Holyoke, Massachusetts a little town that uh, was underserved. There was a lot of poverty, a lot of poverty, a lot of crime, unfortunately, a lot of drug use. And um, so <laughs> there were not that many Americans who wanted to work there. And uh, that's how I got my green card. I worked six years in a place that nobody else wanted to work. And I got my green card. And then I was really free to do whatever I wanted to do. And uh, um, already when I was working towards my green card, I was learning more about nutrition, herbs, and energy medicine, and sound medicine, and uh, functional medicine, integrative medicine, uh, acupuncture, all kinds of things, because I wanted to have as big toolbox and as natural toolbox as possible. And uh, when I finally got my green card, I was able to look for positions where I could utilize it. Um, and Canyon Ranch happened to be in Massachusetts. I was in Massachusetts. So I applied for the position at Canyon Ranch, and, and they took me. <laughs> so there I was, essentially uh, replacing uh, Mark Hyman, a big, big medical celebrity who worked at Canyon Ranch before me. And because he left, that's why they were looking for another physician. And essentially, I replaced Mark Hyman, which is a, a funny story. It is, well, it yeah. shows that uh, how small decisions, even those outside of, mm -hmm. you know, how they affect your lives or our lives, and you in this case, your life. So. Mm -hmm. So we talked briefly about uh, Czech is your first language, Russian, English. Obviously, you speak fluent English. Um, in the midst of you getting uh, your green card and serving the underserved population, uh, you also happen to, out of necessity and perhaps desire to, learn mm -hmm. Spanish as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was speaking Spanish to my patients. I had mostly 90% of my patients were either from Puerto Rico or Colombia. Yeah. Uh, so, and it was wonderful. Uh, but yeah, I, there was a time in my life that I spoke fluent Spanish, and <laughs> <That's> <laughs> including fun. including to my patients. Well, I got a little bit out of, you know, a little rusty. I got a little bit out of the habit, but I love the language. Yeah. Uh, I also understand that in the midst of some of that, um, you uh, uh, found an interest in or got connected with the Native American community. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so that was uh, during the time I was working at Canyon Ranch, which maybe not everybody knows. So I should say it's a, it's a wonderful uh, fancy schmancy spa. <laughs> uh, one is in Massachusetts, one is in Tucson, uh, Arizona, but uh, where they really try to teach people healthy lifestyle, where you can find all kinds of healing techniques from seeing a functional medicine physician to working with a nutritionist, physical therapist, exercise physiologist, naturopath, acupuncturist, massages, <laughs> all that. And so uh, I was learning there a lot and it was a fantastic experience. Unfortunately, about two years into my my life in, in Canyon Ranch, uh, my, my nephew uh, had a very serious accident and became quadriplegic. And, uh, you know, even with all my knowledge of integrative medicine, there really wasn't a whole lot that we could do for him. Um, so it spiraled me into looking for anything and everything that could possibly help repair um, severed spinal cord. And uh, in the process of investigating all the possible therapies, I um, came across Native American healing ceremonies, and I became good friends with a wonderful holy man or medicine man from the DNA tribe, as they would say, or Navajo. Um, and um, I spent next year very intensely learning from him different uh, ways of praying and, and healing people through prayer, spirituality. And uh, what started as helping my nephew then kind of grew and... Uh, I was traveling with him for a few months uh, to other states in the United States and helping him uh, help other people. So, yeah. yeah. Very good. And my nephew definitely benefited from that. You know, it was interesting because uh, the healing ceremony, um, the very first one we held uh, for him, I didn't know anybody to invite to pray in the Native American way. Yeah. Um, but I want to say 30 people arrived uh, to the teepee and that I didn't know. And everybody was willing to sacrifice their their time and set their whole night and prayed for young men that they didn't know. And it was very, very touching uh, and uh, very moving. My parents came from Czech Republic uh, to participate. We had his photograph and uh, my nephew's photograph and clothes. And uh, we were praying for him the whole night with these other 30 people that we didn't know. And uh, three days after this healing ceremony, he was still in the hospital, intubated on a ventilator, not being able to move from his neck down. But three days after this healing ceremony, um, my sister was with him in the hospital uh, and he said, mom, look. And he started moving his fingers and he regained some function in his fingers. And then he was able to be extubated from uh, the breathing machine. And uh, even though he's still in a wheelchair, He's able to operate computer. Uh, he's able to operate with his hand, the electric wheelchair. So that was a big, big difference for him. So, you know, it could have been a coincidence. Certainly, we don't have a randomized control study. Mm -hmm. 
but um i believe that there was something that happened in that in that healing and then you know in the morning you go around and you thank everybody for coming and participating and praying for my nephew and as i was shaking people's hands and thanking them they were thanking me they were thanking me for the opportunity to participate and you realize that the community is so amazingly beautiful and it just is like a family that you get uh that um you just they would do anything for you and you would do anything for them and that's why i ended up traveling with uh with this medicine man or holy man and helping heal other people right that's an amazing story it's fantastic and uh interesting because as Americans, right, we certainly know that the Native Americans were here before we got here. But in, in many cases, we don't delve, at least in schooling, too deeply into their culture and understand what they're about. So for you to come from Czech Republic uh, and then to get immersed in that kind of culture uh, is interesting and it's amazing. I always like to read books about Indians. You know, when I was little, we had like books about cowboys and Indians uh, by mostly by this German author, author uh, Carol May. Uh, so uh, I was very much interested in that culture, but, you know, certainly this was looking at it from a very different angle. And I have such, such deep respect uh, for the for the First Nation and um, for the Native people and such deep respect for how they uh, look at land and how how much respect they have for for all life, you know, whether they are plants or animals or the moon and stars and um, we have so much to learn from them. If we only learned from them how to treat our mother earth, you know, maybe we would be healthier now as society because a lot of diseases come from the way that we have been treating our planet and it's coming back to us like a boomerang. Yeah. And how we treat ourselves by extension yeah. with the type of food that we put in our bodies yeah. and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, I say absolutely, but this is all stuff I've learned from you. <laughs> the, 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 12 years we've been mm -hmm. married. Uh, okay, so uh, I also know that uh, uh, you, at some point in the midst of that, got connected with a group called the 13 Indigenous mm -hmm. Grandmothers. And uh, of all of the interesting aspects of you and interesting stories and life experiences, I think this is uh, one of the, the top five or 10. Um, so please tell us about... Uh, for folks that don't know who the 13 indigenous grandmothers are, uh, what they're about, how you got connected with them, and then um, about your journey with them. Mm -hmm. So 13 indigenous grandmother at grandmothers are a wonderful group of 13 indigenous women, <laughs> healers from different tribes, different Native American tribes. Uh, some of them were from Amazon, Mexico, Tibet, Nepal. Um, and um, you can look up their website. Unfortunately, many of them since have passed, uh, but the organization still exists. Um, at the time when I was volunteering for them, uh, all the grandmothers were still very much alive and very wonderful, energetic, strong, strong um, healing uh, presences. And uh, they were traveling usually twice a year, once in the U.S., once somewhere abroad. And again, teaching uh, young people who were willing to follow them about, um, about the relationship to Mother Earth, uh, prayer, natural healing, um, and um, it was just a very wonderful experience. 
I got introduced to them through a chiropractor back in Massachusetts who told me about them and just asked if I would be willing to volunteer and come as a physician with them to India. And I was like, wow, that sounds that sounds amazing. <laughs> so I asked them if they want a physician to travel with them. And of course they want it. So I got a bag of antibiotics and medications and I traveled with them to visit Dalai Lama. They had a private audience in Dalai Lama in Dharamsala, India. And of course, with the 13 indigenous grandmothers, they had the entourage of maybe 200 young people uh, that went along. And those were all the people who got sick and who needed the antibiotics. The grandmothers themselves uh, never got sick. Uh, if they did, they 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 had some herbs with them uh, in their pocket and they would take care of themselves. Um, so that was, that was quite amazing. And I went, went with them to India. And on another occasion, I went with them uh, to uh, witness um, uh, Sundance in uh, South Dakota, mm -hmm. here in the U.S. Wow, sounds super interesting. Uh, so that brings us to uh, your departure, our departure, but your departure from Massachusetts, mm -hmm. uh, which was just pre-COVID. And uh, uh, what what was uh what caused you to leave what was the the uh the very um what comfortable may not be the right word but well just the you know canyon ranch it sounds like it was uh uh it, it they they had the same culture and um um mentality about medicine that you did mm -hmm. and so it must have been hard to remove yourself from that because i know that we went from massachusetts uh obviously here in colorado by way of the kansas city area um so please tell us what uh, caused you to leave massachusetts and go to kansas city and and then again to colorado oh boy i mean uh you know a canyon ranch was just such an amazing place to to work and we loved living in massachusetts uh in the western mass and in the, in the forests and woods and surrounded by mountains and lakes, little smaller than Colorado, but but beautiful. We had bears coming to our house all the time. <laughs> so it was a idyllic uh, a little town where we stayed. And I loved Canyon Ranch. I never thought I would leave, honestly. But uh, things were changing a little bit. You know, the ownership of Canyon Ranch changed. Um, and I was very much into practicing real medicine. Um, I liked to be solving detective stories, difficult cases. And it was a little hard when... Uh, uh, at Canyon Ranch, people oftentimes would come just once a year, um, uh, maybe once or twice a year. Uh, and also the focus became a little bit more at uh, cosmetics, maybe, and uh, not really the hard detective medicine. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was partially that and partially the fact that I wanted to see if I could help create similar <laughs> um, center to Canyon Ranch uh, somewhere from scratch. And uh, Kansas City uh, at the time, Advent Health was looking for somebody who would lead their integrative medical center and start something like Canyon Ranch for, for a regular <laughs> uh, people who live in the Midwest and maybe elsewhere who would be traveling there and get healing um, from an MD-led institution attached to a hospital. So that seemed very um, intriguing to me to be able to start that and maybe uh, teach other physicians and just integrate 
traditional Western medicine with integrative medicine and, and bridge them and bring them together. Um, and that's really why I brought my family from beautiful Massachusetts to Kansas City, which has a lot to offer, but certainly, you know, doesn't have that beautiful nature. Uh, certainly was in Canyon Ranch. Um, but we spent good three years, I think, there. Um, we kind of survived COVID in Kansas City, but uh, the, the job wasn't quite what I was looking for. Um, and um, uh, when uh, my three-year contract was ending, I really began looking for another opportunity. And you were the one who found <laughs> in Spero in Edwards and said, sweetheart, there's a job in, in Colorado. You love skiing. You love mountains. <laughs> you should look into this opportunity. And your response and, was, uh, I oh, was like, oh, no, it doesn't sound realistic. <laughs> <laughs> when you take the winter must be really long. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but I nevertheless I applied and uh, we clicked right away with Dr. Lan. Who... I do want to get to Inspira, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, but I do want to back up also. Mm -hmm. um, in a way, you kind of glossed over COVID, and certainly I don't want to make this about COVID, but uh, I know how excited you were uh, about the idea of starting what would become the whole health Institute with mm -hmm. admin health. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there were discussions already with architects, with, uh, project managers about having a, a demonstration kitchen and about how you incorporate yoga classes and massage. Uh, and I'm sure I'm not even privy to all of the plans that were going on, but it was a pretty grand, uh, you know, mm -hmm. when we were, we would drive by the building that was supposed to be, and then COVID hit mm -hmm. uh, and all of those plans got back burnered. Yeah. Uh, and in many cases, the world shut down. Mm -hmm. uh, and then so that you ended up being a much smaller practice after all was said and done, even though there was kind of simmerings of what could become. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yes, I know how excited you yeah. were. And I know should it had played out the way it was supposed mm -hmm. to, it would have been uh, we would have had a very different experience in yeah. Kansas City. And, you know, I mean, you always point out that I am a revolutionary. I like to change things. And as much as I participated in the Velvet Revolution, breaking communism, I was so eager to change the way medicine is practiced. I wanted to be part of the revolution that changes medical system in the United States. And I really hoped that Kansas would be that, that, that would be the opportunity that would make that happen. Uh, but yeah, I think the timing wasn't just right. The, the finances were lost because of COVID and, uh, I just didn't want to spend the rest of my life seeing if that would manifest or not. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah so, that... so we started looking elsewhere right. and, uh, uh, luckily, luckily you, you saw the advertisement from Inspero in Edwards, which I could not even have imagined a place that practices medicine exactly the same way that I do with integrity, with real love and care for patient, um, with just taking time, you know, sometimes two hours per patient and then much more time on the, on the backside researching if, if uh, the story is not uh, very clear. Uh, it's just perfect way, perfect place for me to practice the way I practice. And uh, I could not have joined a more kind, beautiful human being than Dr. Lan. So, so happy to be um, in this beautiful valley with beautiful nature that feeds my spirit so I can be happy. 
and I can then be better in helping patients. And I know, of course, all of that to be true. Uh, we've only been here, is it even four months? I'm not mm, sure. Four and a half months. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, we've been paddleboarding. We've been kayaking. We've gone to Aspen, uh, you know, certainly the the resort hiked areas here, hiked and biked. Um, and so you are very active. And by extension, we as a family are very active. So we've been enjoying um, all much of what Colorado has to offer. Uh, I know you're, you're in your happy place. Uh, relative to Inspiro, relative to you as a medical practitioner, um, what are some of the differences? I mean, you've already touched on some of the differences between traditional medicine and the type of medicine you practice, but I also know there's integrative, holistic, lifestyle, functional, and you probably could talk hours on the distinctions between those, but in a few sentences, um, are they the same? Are they different? If so, kind of what about it is different? And what kind of patients do you see? If I'm at home watching this and I'm thinking, you know, I have something, I have a condition, I have symptoms, should I see Dr. Hupkova? Um, how do I know whether or how to answer that question? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in traditional medicine, which certainly has its role and is fantastic for emergencies, right? If somebody has a heart attack or pneumonia, then Western medicine is the best thing for them and it's going to save their life. So that's where Western medicine really shines is in, is in acute hospital care. But I realized already going through my residency that it's really, and then being in practice, that really it's not so great for chronic conditions. And that oftentimes is just applying Band-Aids, um, treating symptoms. So, you know, it's really trying to label conditions, find the diagnosis, and then find a pill, find a medication that is given for the diagnosis. And uh, doesn't really help people because if you don't understand why the disease developed, uh, what was the root cause, then you just put the Band-Aid with one medication and then the root cause is still there and it can pop as another disease or as another disease. And now you're going to be dishing out more and more pills. And then you're going to be dishing more pills for the side effects of the first pills. And, and it's a very kind of negative spiral uh, that doesn't get people healthier. It just makes them actually worse. And I did not, I did not see that that would be the best way of helping people. I knew that it was better way. <laughs> and so um, I always take time to listen to patients, which you cannot do if you have 30 patients a day, uh, which is what our med medical system is designed as. But I really want to listen to the story, really understand what happened first, how the person was eating, how what are their stressors, how they were born, how many antibiotics they had in their life. And that all takes mostly time. So uh, we spend a lot of time with our patients. Uh, we really strive to understand the mechanism that led to the disease. And then we kind of peel the layers of the onion to, to eliminate it. And oftentimes with that, we don't need a lot of medications. We rely on healthy lifestyle and then maybe some supplements. Occasionally a medication, sometimes just for a period of time until the lifestyle uh, starts working and maybe then the medication can be discontinued. Uh, but it's much more satisfactory because as side effects, people feel better. They have more energy. They will have more longevity. 
uh, more life in their years uh, and more years to their life. And that's really what functional medicine and integrative medicine is about. You know, it's about using different tools, not just medications and surgery, using different tools, uh, getting to the root and heavily, heavily relying on healthy lifestyle. And it, you know, the names functional integrative lifestyle medicine, that's, I think it's a little bit less important than doing good medicine. Yeah, of course, of course. And so what do you say to someone who says, um, you know, oh, holistic medicine, uh, that's, you know, are you a witch doctor? Mm -hmm. What, you know, what, uh, or I heard that it doesn't work, that you prescribe water and you're, you know, whatever, you know, all of the kind of the naysayers. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, I mean, I, I think it sometimes unfortunately still happens that people have no idea or even uh, their physician may be dismissive. And I oftentimes think it's because they don't know enough about it. So people tend to be dismissive of things that they don't know about. So they say, oh, this doesn't work instead of acknowledging, well, I don't know enough about it. Uh, and when people do take the time to learn about it, they will very quickly realize that it works. Uh, I've been fortunate that already since my time at Canyon Ranch, I uh, have been involved in education of physicians. And it's something I actually really very much enjoy to convert <laughs> traditional physicians into believers in integrative medicine, because we just show them the facts and show them case studies where people overcame autoimmune disease or they recovered from something that traditional medicine would not be able to help them with. And we have stories and we show them the evidence. And, um, you know, many, many of the patients, uh, many of the physicians I was teaching became my patients and, and benefited themselves and saw the healing on themselves. So um, I, I love the fact that I'm not afraid of being uh, called a witch doctor <laughs> because I'm very confident that I can I can convert the people into believers, and it's with evidence and data, you know, not with any kind of magic. So. Very good. And I, you know, I have since learned this since meeting you and, and obviously getting to know you and and, and about your career. Uh, as your biggest cheerleader, I will say, uh, most medications started out as some in some natural form and then were discovered and perhaps refined or or uh, recreated in the lab. Um, all medical treatments or, or, or uh, diagnoses started out as observations or anecdotes, mm -hmm. uh, and then they were put into studies. And so in a lot of cases, uh, traditional medical practitioners, or maybe just people in general, you know, kind of dismiss uh, the more uh, cutting edge, holistic, integrative, but that um, all of medicine had its roots. And we consider probiotics now to be pretty mainstream. But when I first met you, you know, let's say 15 years ago, um, probiotics were not mainstream and mainstream medicine kind of dismissed the role of, of gut microbiome, which we really haven't touched on. Mm -hmm. um, and so now, uh, I have, you know, I have some symptoms at home and uh, are there things you specialize on? How do I know whether you can help me, whether I should come see you or at least reach out for some type of initial consultation? How do I make that leap from, you know, my doctor is doing okay for me, like, but it's not great. I, I just kind of have learned to live with it and I should pick up the phone or I should, you know, make an appointment or whatever I should do. 
whether it be you or some other similar similar practitioner to say, you know what, I don't have to live this way. There are other options. Yeah, I would say that we see variety of patients. So we certainly see a lot of people who mainstream medicine failed them. Uh, they've already been to 20 different doctors, then 20 different specialists, and they still are sick and they still feel miserable. So we certainly see a fair amount of those patients. And it's really, really satisfying to see that they can improve. And it's not going to be overnight, obviously, it could take years, but uh, they make steady progress, and sometimes full recovery. Uh, and then I also really enjoy seeing people who are healthy, and they want to stay healthy. You know, they don't want to wait until they have a disease. Because by the time you develop the disease, by the time you diagnose with a heart attack, it was 20 years or longer in making. By the time you diagnose with rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, you know, you already had signs of that in your blood 10 years ago. And so I like to catch people way before and, uh, and see where the imbalances are or where are some of the signs of future illness. And if we intervene at that point, the chances of reversing it and or completely stopping the disease in its tracks are obviously much higher. So I am passionate about seeing uh, everybody on that spectrum from healthy people who want to stay healthy, who are interested in longevity, optimal health, well-being, you know, they want to keep their brain healthy as they go, um, all the way to the kind of mysterious detective medical uh, mysteries that that uh, we enjoy solving with Dr. Lan as well, yeah. and anything in between. So um, I probably tend to see a lot of people with digestive issues, autoimmune issues, brain health uh, issues, but really anything except for children. I see anybody with anything. Yeah. <laughs> and I happen to know, uh, based on your recounting of of uh, certain stories uh, that have been has been repeated many times, that. Uh, someone will come to see you and they'll say, I've seen 10 doctors in 10 years and no one can help me. Um, and I think when we first met, I even was somewhat dismissive of how, you know, in, in, internally, of how often that really can happen and and, uh, and how people can live with some illness and, and never kind of get a resolution. But it turns out, as I've learned both from you and in speaking with people more about this, that uh, it happens quite often, right? Uh, and you have this, we, we use the word holistic, um, that you have a whole person view of things. Whereas if you go to a particular doctor with a particular specialty, their focus, and then I think many people have the experience of, well, it's not me, go see a rheumatologist. It's not me, go see a, a nephrologist or auto or a, a uh, infectious silos. disease, right? So, and people have a hard time thinking outside that. So, it happens a lot more than than people might realize. Uh, so, we're coming up to the end of our time. Uh, is there anything about yourself that I have forgotten to ask that maybe you wanted to mention? Uh, some interesting stories, uh, uh, maybe some uh, patients where the turnaround was, you know, so. Uh, that, you know, that was so fulfilling to you that it's, uh, that you maybe want to mention it, of course, without names or any life experiences that I might've missed. I mean, I'm sure there would be so much, <laughs> but I just would encourage people with any kind of disease or something that runs in the family that maybe you are worried that you are destined to develop as well. Please do not think that way. There is so much, so much that can be done. 
to prevent things from developing or delay them or slow the progress and really oftentimes even the reverse. So I would encourage you never to lose hope. Uh, seek us out uh, at Inspero in Edwards or seek other integrative uh, or functional medicine physician and just give it a chance and see for yourself. Many people will start feeling better within a month of maybe being on a special diet. So it doesn't have to take years to see some results. And it's it's extremely, extremely rewarding. Okay, very good. Thank you. And if after the fact, I think of a bunch of things that, that I uh, should have asked you about or interesting stories, I know where you live. Hopefully you'll come <laughs> back on. You can always have me here again. And thank you for the opportunity. and. And hopefully, thank you for watching or listening. And uh, I look forward to learn about other people in the in the valley. And thank thank you for having us in Colorado. We love living here. It's <laughs> true. So. Yes. So with that, mm -hmm. thank you, Dr. Thank Teresa you. Hokova. Uh, thank you to everyone listening at home or at work or in the car. Uh, I'm Chris Buno. This is Vale Valley Experience. Uh, stay tuned for episodes two to. The sky's the limit. Thanks. <laughs> Have a good night. Bye. Mm -hmm. Bye.